0: This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Motor?
1: It's pronounced Motor.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie Podcast. I'm Alan Katz.
2: And I'm Gil Adler.
0: Before we get going we'd like to remind everybody if you are enjoying what we're doing and god we hope you are please hit the like button below just down there hit the like button and subscribe these things really really help us so subscribe like do all those things thank you so much uh today our guest is uh, a guy named patrick lum now i have i've never met patrick before we did the interview today but Gil and Patrick worked together on Valkyrie. Patrick is a production designer, and uh, a fascinating person who's living a fascinating life. Even the, the way that you ended up working with him on Valkyrie had had a, a story to it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a pretty sad story on one level, and it was pretty crazy how we finally had to let the production designer go, and luckily had Patrick to step in.
0: You know, it, it, it is something that, that happens when, when you start to make a, a movie or a TV show with your creative team. You you expect when everybody signs their contracts and you start having your production meetings that everyone's on the same page. It's It does happen where you discover that one of the people in the group is not on the same page as everybody else. And that, that becomes increasingly problematic when they resist getting on the same page.
2: And it's sad all the way around. It's sad for the person yeah. you're letting go. And it's sad for you because you don't like to do that. And it's also not in the best interest of the production.
0: It is It is never fun to be fired. No. It's never fun to fire people. It's everything no. about it is is just unpleasant.
2: Well, but, Patrick's but, career. <laughs> Patrick's career spans Advertising, movies, television, and more advertising. Yeah. He brings an interesting perspective. He absolutely does. And uh, we'll let him speak for himself. Here's Patrick
0: Brooklyn, Los Angeles, and Luca, Italy.
1: Yes. Now, constantly on the go. That's, (laughs) but all right.
0: Luca, Italy, when I saw that you lived in Luca and I look up, wow, okay, what's so special about Luca? Wow, Luca's really a special place. Oh, Oh, it's great.
2: It's great. What we, what we first that.
0: drew you to, to, to Luca? Because it, the, the more, I mean, I I the first part of this conversation, I
2: want to know about Luca because what a fantastic place. It's beautiful. Gills Bean, he can tell you yeah. about it. It's great. It was beautiful. Their place is gorgeous and, and very historical and right in the heart of everything. And, oh, it was great. We went to a liquor store. Remember this? We went to this liquor store and we go into this liquor store and the guy knows Patrick and he says, oh, come with me. And we go into the basement, huh. and there are bottles in sand, sort of uh, uh, scattered all over the place, like a cool. hundred years old, two hundred uh, uh, years old.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
2: What first drew you to of all the places? All
0: right, Italy. Under I, I understand it's a beautiful okay. place, fascinating. But how did you end up in Luca?
1: Well, it's quite a good story. So I I I actually went there when I was eighteen or nineteen with a college trip to I went I studied at art school in England, and we went there. For a, i think it was like a half a week or a week and we went to florence because obviously all the museums you fitz etc and the renaissance so uh, and i fell in love with italy i was like this is amazing and back then europe was so different to england england yeah. was its own country which it is again now post brexit <laughs> that's my uh, al- alas <laughs> yes and then uh, but it was so different and it was before the internet and before you could get like a cappuccino or an espresso or a anything italian if you wanted any of that stuff, you had to go to Italy. So, this was my first, I think, one of my first trips abroad. And we went to Italy, and I was just like, This is the coolest place ever! This is so I want to live here. Plus, the art was just blew my mind. So, years later, Nancy and I got married, and we tried to move to Italy. And, and a very long story with the QE2 crossing, King a rock, traveling late, almost dying on the crossing, arriving in Italy. I had a job to teach at the university there, and uh, by the time I got there, the, They'd given the job to somebody else, obviously, because I wasn't there and I was three months late into the semester. So, um, we packed our bags and ended up going back to London.
0: It's like the Odyssey, literally, and with, with the boat
1: trip, too. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, cut to uh, several years later, one of the movies I did, we ended up shooting in Italy for a little bit. We were scouting in Italy, and I was like, oh man, yeah, Italy, I gotta live here. I love it. Nancy came over to visit, um, while we were shooting and said, Right. We're moving here. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure we are. And then we went back to L.A. and Nancy said, right, we've got a month. We're either doing it or we're not doing it. So we're like, OK, let's do it. So we uh, packed up the house and moved over there. Didn't have a clue where we were going and spent about six weeks driving around with a seven year old, our younger son in the car. Yeah. And then uh, we did not know what to do. We end up going back to Rome and friends in Rome gave us a list, compiled friends, compiled a list of like the top 10 places if you could live anywhere. And Luca was on the list. I think it was number three, and we ended up going to other places. And I'd be, I love it, and my wife would be, like, I don't like it, and then she'd like it. I didn't. We walked into Luca, and we just loved it, fell in love. I don't know if it was Luca or whether we were just exhausted from traveling. But were you um, looking?
0: Were you looking in other places in in uh, Tuscany?
1: Yeah, or- no. I actually, I love to surf. I'm a surfing mad, so I was trying to find somewhere close to the sea, but close enough to a city that wasn't. I mean, I love Rome. Rome's, I like, think, my favorite city in the world, but it's just a, another city. And that's why we were leaving Los Angeles in the first place. So, and at the time, I was just doing movies and I never did a movie in LA. And my wife's from LA and she was like, I'm stuck in LA. I don't want to be in LA. And you're swanning off all around the world. Yeah. So let's just go and live somewhere else. And at the time we could. So uh, that's why we ended up going there. And then uh, just loving it and put the kids in cool school and end up staying. So in the Perini Journal,
0: you said that you could summarize Luca in five words. You remember the words?
1: Oh, my God. Now you're asking. <laughs>
0: <I didn't> probably... <laughs> well, but, but they, were re- they were an interesting choice of words. Inspiring, serene, profound, mysterious, and beguiling.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I would, yeah, I'd stand by those.
0: Oh. <laughs> cool. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, at the same time, in, in, in the same publication, you said of Hollywood, Uh, that it it is immense, competitive, glamorous, seedy, and addictive like a drug.
1: Yeah, all true.
0: (laughs) When did you first go to L.A.?
1: I came, I actually, it was again, it was another accident, uh, fortuitous accident. I came to America in 89 um, to apply to do my postgraduate at uh, the Chicago School of the art institute and um i so i stopped off in chicago well, i stopped off in new york for a night by accident because my plane was delayed which was fantastic uh, i can remember i still remember clear as day coming up on 42nd street and just being like oh my god i've never seen anything like it hence the new york thing now because i just it's always been a dream and then um yeah i went to chicago applied and then i had one friend one buddy in america who was in who i'd gone to college with who was in l.a and I'm like, you know, what? I'll, I'll just stop in L.A. I didn't know anything about L.A. Wasn't even on my radar. All New York was what I thought I wanted to be. And uh, I thought I'd stop in L.A. for a few days, buy a car, an old Cadillac, like all English people do, and then drive across America. But I got to L.A. and got off the plane. And this friend of mine said, oh, I'm, he was working as a graphic artist for a clothing company, fashion company, and he couldn't take time off work. So he picked me up at the airport, brought me back to his work so I was sitting around in his office and the boss came in and said oh I, I hear you're a painter I, I'd love some paintings for my offices could you do them so I was like well yeah that'd be great <laughs> you know amazing I got a job so I stayed and did some paintings that turned into more paintings and then uh, pretty soon after that met my now wife and uh stayed and then but I did go back to Chicago the following year because I was fortunate enough to get a full scholarship so, so excellent
0: In your biography, you you say that you moved to Scotland at the age of nine. If my English wife was here listening to your accent, she'd say, Oh, well, he's from. Before you went to Scotland, where did you come from? Where
1: where did you move Um, from to Scotland? Yeah, I was born in the south of England, a place called Bournemouth, which is kind of. Oh, sure. Is is that still your team? <laughs> okay. Well, kind of my sort of backup team, because for years they were always in the fourth division. Yeah, 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 yeah. But,
0: but, so but but they're in the premiership now. But well, who, who's your main are. team?
1: My main team now is Manchester, the mighty Manchester United, who aren't unfortunately doing so well these days.
0: What did you find so addictive like a drug about Los
1: Angeles? But um I don't know if it's Los Angeles or working in in The entertainment industry as a designer. I mean, it is just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always a new project. It's always a new problem to solve. And it's always another, like, huge success or huge failure, (laughs) like, just waiting for you to come and slap you in the face, which uh, which is exciting. I mean, and you kind of, you know, the high of going from, like, a written word on the page to then... At the end of the day, seeing it in the you know on the big screen or or you know with music with the audience, it's like it's amazing. I mean, there's there really isn't quite anything like it. And knowing as an artist originally as an artist not as an as an artist in Hollywood as an yeah. artist and a painter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to it's 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 like if a few people see your paintings, that's exciting. So when you're in you know. Hollywood and you like make a movie and then you get the poster of it. And it was like, Oh my God, everyone loved it in Japan. They loved it in Taiwan. You're like, I'm big in Japan. Everyone saw my stuff and you know, our stuff. It's always a group thing, but you know, and then that's, that's exciting. So then you, uh, you know, it makes you want to do it some more. You didn't set out though, to be in the movies. No. Or, or, or advertising,
0: which is really where that seems to be. That's where the, the bulk of your work is. And Wow. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about. You've done some really fantastic production design on, on a bunch of feature films, Eve. but your your it's your commercial work is wow, 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 wow. I, I, we, oh. it, there's so much to talk about there. I very innovative on on the digital side too. But like I said, we'll 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 get there.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I I weirdly enough, when I was really young, I think I was probably like nine or something. I saw Jaws. I mean, we, when I was a kid, we always went to see the James Bond film every year. And that was, that was I mean, sure. that is still what some of my fondest memories or my if I think back to my childhood, that was like the real dream. Because like James Bond was so iconic. I think he got the point. I mean, he was so cool and he travelled the world and it was like and, you know, none of us were ever going to do that. It was like, and again, at the time, I'm really feel lucky. I I grew up then before the whole internet and everything. So like, if you wanted to look about, you know, what's Tahiti look like? You had to go to the library, get a book out, look at some really shitty pictures. And it was kind of like, but then, so when you watch James Bond, it was like, you know, he had these Sony TVs and it was like, oh my God, he's got these cool cars and he's traveling to all other places. I think that kind of really was actually quite inspirational. And I made my mum recently showed me i made this little um i was gonna make my own little film and i drew all the sets when i was like about which i'd totally forgotten when i was about uh nine years old for huh. for, for this thing so but um yeah no it was a complete accident really i uh i thought i was going to be a painter that's what i wanted to was an artist I, I, and how I, did
0: um, this accident take place
1: i had a friend uh so when i came to la i had that one friend and then he had other friends so we sort of became what did you what did you think
0: you were gonna do or be in la
1: uh well i just i when i first got here i started doing making these paintings um for a company and at the time i mean i was working illegally but the guy paid me he, he paid me 150 bucks a week which i thought was like i mean it was like getting paid ten thousand dollars a week now i was like this is a i mean it was like god obviously
0: that's not now week. what what is that that is not now what what year yeah. was it and uh this was
1: 89 1989 okay. okay and then uh and he gave me a car and he gave me somewhere to live and this huge studio so i was like this i'm like this is i'm living the dream so it was great i just uh yeah that's what i was doing and then we just and then from being here and you know we used to go to clubs all the time we ended up making friends you know i was really young i was like 22 i think so uh made a lot of friends. And one friend had gone to university and he'd learned how to uh, draft. He was kind of like a semi, uh, like an architect slash um, furniture designer. And at the time, Hollywood was really busy and they were making the movie Hook, Spielberg's movie Hook. And uh, he had a friend of a friend who said, oh, you know what? We need uh, set designers and you can draft. So do you want to come down and you could get a job as a set designer on Hook? So he started working on Hook, and we were like, oh, my God, are you working on, like, I think it was on Sony? Yeah, I think it was a Sony lot. And we are like, oh, which wasn't Sony then. It was uh, what was it back then? Uh, yeah. Universal. Columbia. 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 He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And we went on and snuck on a lunchtime and wander around. I was like, this is amazing. And that was kind of like, and then at the time, I think he was getting paid like $200 a week and we were like $200 a week. I'm like, <laughs> and so we're all like, I was like, I want to do this. This is, this is great. And plus, to be honest, going from the art Institute when I was there, I'd studied painting, but I actually, cause I had a scholarship, I could do uh study all the undergraduate classes for free. It was all paid for. So I studied photography and computer imaging and, um, what else did I study? Um, film photography. Um, so that was all things that I kind of, so it broadened my, uh, experience or knowledge of these different crafts so i kind of wanted to when i after i graduated i kind of like i actually want to do something else i don't necessarily actually just want to sit in a studio painting pictures all by myself it'd be kind of fun to do something else and then you had all
0: kinds of other tools in on your tool belt you you, exactly acquired other kinds of knowledge and other doors had opened that you could think well i you could express yourself in those ways
1: exactly so then i was like oh you know this could be fun to work in film so uh, but then we moved back to italy and england and i and i I actually started working at RSA, the production company for uh, Ridley Scott in London, which was uh, almost impossible because the the I mean, it's not so bad now. But the, the British film industry is is so um, you have to get grandfathered in really you have to know someone. And yeah. I just kept banging on doors every every day, literally bugging everybody. And there was a woman whose name I can't remember. But in the commercial world, everyone knows her. And she was kind of like a tyrant who ran the office at RSA. And somehow I managed to schmooze my way around her. And she gave me a job as a runner. But um, they only paid. I think they paid like thirty quid a week, and I had two kids by then. And we were living in London. There was just I. It wasn't sustainable. So uh, my wife's like, you got to get a proper job." <laughs> so uh, I ended up becoming a teacher for a while. But then we, uh, so yeah, then then when we came back, then we moved back to America, and um, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do this movie thing. So I I tried to to get a job as an art director, but at the time I couldn't draft. I didn't know how to draft. So uh, I I knew people through through being here um and they were all like yeah you know you, you you've got the right sort of attitude i'm sure you could do it but you need to be able to draft so i went to ucla night school and i learned to learn to draft and um while i was doing that or actually before i started doing that i i got a job working with ed strang who runs the scenic shop in uh at warner brothers so i used to i got a job painting backings because that was pre again pre-digital so we used to paint the backings to so anyone who doesn't know what that is. So when you when you have a set on stage, it's got windows and doors. And when you look through the window, you've got to see something out there. Uh so you can stick trees out there, but it looks a bit silly. So we we would paint backings that you put outside the window. So when you're filming on the stage and you look out the window, it looks as though you're in Brooklyn or in a park or wherever you're supposed to be. So we used to hand paint those on these huge canvases in uh, uh in Warner Brothers. So I did that um for a while, which I thought was going to be great, but I put <laughs> it it wasn't it was really it was really uh i don't know it was fun the warner brothers was quite a place back in the uh back in the 80s so uh, uh i guess it wasn't satisfying It was a lot of work and it was um yeah the the guys back then it was kind of <laughs> sexist misogynist kind of a little bit a little bit sure. sure it, sure, it was so, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't uh it yeah. Was, yeah it was we weren't kind of wearing berets and standing back and checking our work we were just, <laughs> we, were just uh, we were working no. yeah we got 15 minutes for 15 minutes for break half an hour for lunch 15 minutes in the afternoon it was all time carded and if you didn't stamp that time card on the right time you were not getting paid and and uh yeah and i was a junior so i was uh my salary wasn't so great and there are other guys there who are fantastic older guys and they 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 had like amazing knowledge I and mean, they were earning like a fortune and I kept like trying to move on up, but it was, uh, it took a long time and I was like, I, I can't wait, you know, 40 years to, to move up in this, in this, in this thing. But, uh, it is a shame. I mean, it is a shame though. Cause there's those, those guys had the, such amazing skills that are now just, they're kind of lost really. It's one of those things that I think in a lot of ways, cause, uh, they used to know all these, perspective tricks and how to paint you know buildings so they look they're the right size oh that stuff's just and it's not none of it's really written down i mean there's a few of them left and and i still keep in contact with a couple of guys that that i i worked with back then but they were real masters i mean masters of i learned a lot and um yeah and how to put the paint on the brush and i mean you you paint these things and and you they look like a big lot of brush marks and then you step back twenty feet, and it's like oh my god there's the plains of texas you know like, <laughs> i mean
0: um
1: but they actually the, right now there's a every once in a while there's a there's there's a couple of places that still rent them out uh jc backings is one of them and uh they still have the original paintings they still have them and uh it's amazing when you go and look at them they're huge they're like you know some of them are 60 foot wide, 40 foot high, and beautifully all hand painted, amazing. So,
0: do you do you get royalties if, if, if these things ever get, get, get I wish <laughs>
1: that would I be mean, that was, would be fair, cool. wouldn't it? I mean, have I mean thought after of that.
0: all. I mean, you know, <laughs> should
1: have thought of that. But it was fun and through that I got exposure to being on. I mean, we would paint, you know, the tiles on the floor of Batman. I painted graffiti for Batman films. I did all kinds of we'd do TV shows, films, commercials, any anything that came in. We would paint the backings, but we'd also go out and paint stuff there's actually the big there's a big wall at warner brothers if you go to warner brothers now it's on the i can't remember which lot it is but one of the back of the stages and it looks like a paris street it looks like a building this sort of mm. trompe louis we painted that i proud to say i was part of painting that so um yeah it was good fun but i got to see but i got exposure to all these other things and i then i and then i was really fortunate that um a guy called paul silbert a famous very famous production designer very
0: very very famous
1: yeah was making a movie who i i didn't know who he was but they were making a movie um uh oh my god that's going out have my name now. to he, end all he, wars Uh yes to end the wars but before that he was making conspiracy theory yeah. on the stages at warner brothers with um uh mel gibson and uh julia roberts and uh dick donner was the director and uh and they, they needed, these, they, they, he came into the scenic shop because they needed something to paint and they actually, there was a lamp in the movie where there's a reflection in the lamp which the guy wakes up from he's being drugged and he wakes up and he looks in this metal lamp and sees a reflection of a, of a landmark. And that's where he realizes where he is. But in reality, the reflection would be so small. You wouldn't actually be able to see it. So Paul came in and said, is there anyone in anyone here that could paint this reflection? And they kind of went, Oh yeah, you know, just give it to Patrick because he's not doing anything today or whatever. will give it to me. So I went and did it. And then, and struck up a conversation with Paul, which was, you know, fantastic. And then I ended up making the mural. There's a mural, which is central to the film with his help i did that and then he was like you you should be an art director and i was like hey, yeah <laughs> and then uh so yeah it was great he couldn't hire me in any official capacity because we were he was already in production and, and everything else but he was like you know you I'll, I'll help you out and he sort of became a mentor um and and uh introduced me to some other people that was an amazing experience uh, i mean yeah i mean i was on set you know with these movie stars and dick donner and and then and, and paul would just be like oh this is patrick you know and I'd be like, yeah. And, I'd, you know, Mel Gibson, hey, Patrick. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is pretty cool. And that was before when Mel Gibson was cool. I thought he was cool back cool. then. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It, it
0: came and went.
1: Yeah. But, like, literally, Dick, Dick Donner was amazing. He would be on set and he, he knew what he wanted and he was doing. But he would say, oh, I was thinking we could do this. What do you guys think? And Paul would be like, oh, I was thinking maybe, you know, they could come through that door or whatever, you know, part of the set. And then. Paul would sometimes say, "Well, what do you think, Patrick?" And I'd be like, "Well, you know, don't ask me. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm no work sort of thing." And then he'd like, "No, no, just say what you think." And I'd say something, and and Dick would be like, "No, that's a stupid idea. You know, what, I'm not doing that." But sometimes he would say, "Not my ideas," but he was just, it was just such a uh, a way of working that he was so confident and not like yelling at everybody and like, oh, so "Fucking, this is my idea." It was. I was like, "This guy is a man. I mean, what a guy! I mean, it was amazing. It was, uh, yeah." And uh, and and I think one of, and I'm just going to say it there because um, my wife at the time, unfortunately, had a, we were trying to have a, a third child and she had a miscarriage. And I, and I, uh, it was really upsetting. And I told Paul, um, because I, I want to take the day off, I think, or the afternoon off, or I didn't even know if I did that. I just went into work, but I was miserable. And, uh and I told him what happened. And I said, but you know, just, you don't need to tell anyone, you know, just keep it quiet. And then that night I got home from work and the whole, you couldn't even get in the front door of the house because it was full of flowers from Dick. Donna saying so sorry. Thanks. You know, you're part of the team. We really appreciate your help. If there's anything we can do, and I was like, Wow, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Hollywood's got its shit side, obviously, you know, backstabbing and all that kind of stuff. But it's also got some, you there know, are mentions.
0: There are there are definitely and, like,
1: and I was like, Well, wow, this guy is so that, yeah, so I think that kind of stuff was thinking about now kind of made me kind of go, yeah, you know what, there's some cool people out there. And if you get to a position where you can be making, affecting people's lives or whatever, because you're in sort of that position, you you can, and it's and in a good way. So that was. Did, uh, did Dick know your name? <clears throat> I You know, I don't know, to be honest with you, probably not. I mean, he probably wouldn't remember me or anything. It was like. You Dick, know. Dick used to not remember anybody's name and he called everybody kid yeah that was it kid hey kid and right. so did paul yeah. <laughs> but we'd see in dailies and paul like you is a super new yorker his accent's like yeah hey, 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 yeah how you doing and then we'd be in the, we'd be in dailies because he'd be like you got to come to dailies so we be, would be in dailies they'd be literally myself i think probably like dick would sit behind us and um maybe Mel Gibson, be I don't know who was in there. It was dark. And I'd be sitting next to Paul thinking, oh my God, I can't believe I'm in this room with all these people. Like I'm a scenic, like what's going on? And then and they play the dailies and Paul would be going, that shot's rubbish. This guy's a hack. I tell you kid, if I was doing it and I was just like, oh my God, this is my first job. And it most certainly is going to be my last. I'm never, <laughs> but he was funny, yeah. Like, Paul, we'd walk around the set, and Paul's cell phone would ring, and he'd get so pissed off because he couldn't quite work out how to work it. It was the beginning days of cell phones, yeah. yeah good times, pretty funny. And then Paul didn't really do very many things after that, he was quite old then, and uh, I think you know, quite cantankerous too. So, um, and uh, but then I started doing commercials, that's how I got into doing commercials, um, from that and then from doing commercials i i i had a the one friend that i had that was a was the set designer became a design, production designer and he did his first film behind enemy lines and and he needed an art director an art director so i said i'd do it not having a clue what i was doing <laughs> but uh on it's the job well, training is uh... the, it was some real on the job training yeah i mean it's funny because we were there about a week or something and we were, we made it in Bratislava and there was some problem. I can't remember. We didn't have enough money or something. So, so my friend, Nathan Crowley is the designer who is now Oscar nominated several times a fantastic designer. And, uh, he was saying, um, He's like, we should write a letter. We should really write a letter to so Warner Brothers, telling them more. 20th Century Fox, telling them there's not enough money, and this is ridiculous. So I'm like, okay, So I wrote this letter, like, so really stern letter of like, this is ridiculous. No, you need. It's like and a week later, the producer came over and gave me a firm slapping. This is not how you do it. You do not write to the head of the studio, kind of thing. So I was like, oh, okay. Damn that learning curve. Yeah, got rusty there. We should, we should have tried that. <laughs> yeah severe hand slapping for that one so i was like oh okay
0: <laughs> but you survived the learning curve and and you yeah right. it's fantastic so you, you, you were art director on on a couple of projects yes yeah. yes
1: yeah, so i was a uh, yeah so i was yeah i did a basis Yes, so i was an art director on a two or three films i think a few films and then um and then john uh, yeah uh, john,
0: john moore is doing a uh, flight of the phoenix in 2004 exactly. and, and he hires you to be his production designer,
1: designer. yeah which was great It was a, yeah, it was a real opportunity Um, and I leapt at it. So it was great. Um, Yeah, we had a, yeah, it was fascinating. We went scouting all over the place, trying to find a a desert and then uh, trying to, and John was adamantly wanted to shoot it in Africa. Um, So there's amazing, amazing dunes in Namibia, which on one hand, when you're in the dunes, you feel like you're in the Sahara, like a middling mass from anywhere. And then, but you're actually only a mile away from the sea. I mean, there is nothing else there. I mean, you are, it's very desolate and it's not like a lot of um, vegetation or anything, but the dunes are incredible. They look, you, you, when you're in them, you feel like you're a million miles from anywhere, but, um, but they have access, but it was Yeah. I mean, it was great. It was a real challenge. It was a massive, massive job, massive undertaking and, uh, yeah. I mean, it was great though. It was really fun. I mean, uh, we really pushed the boat. I tried to really push the boat. It's, it's funny back then. I kind of came through the school of, of working with uh, Nathan, with John is, is, is we, we just try to do the maximum, like whatever we did, we just try to make it bigger than anyone thought it could possibly be mm. like you. We, you know, we build roads to sets that were on the top of mountains. We do anything like just to, to, to make it amazing that you hadn't seen it before or what we, perceived as not being seen before we just wanted to try and make it as a as phenomenal and, and the same with the flight of the phoenix so we you know we we shipped three planes down there three carcasses we built another plane out another room tied desperately to make it into a real flying plane that it could actually fly but uh unfortunately it was just two there was yeah you know, we couldn't do it the original it's a it's a remake and the original they did make a flying yeah. But the, but the stuntman died doing it so uh we wanted not to do that
2: i think i'm understanding now a little bit better about why you were
1: always over budget <laughs> <laughs> well weirdly enough it all changed because back then you were the i mean it i probably shouldn't be saying this but i back then it was like the director was god to me yeah. so it was like the director said i want to be a big, battleship it'd be like okay that's what we're doing and it was like the producer be like oh we can't do that and i'll be like no we're doing it man <laughs> like i don't care what you say he's my boss not you so it's like whatever the director said and then the financial crisis happened and then it was like oh <laughs> now it's all like no whatever the director you like hey, i don't care what you say it's whatever the producer says because <laughs> <laughs> he's the one who's gonna hire me so yeah it was so kind of a it was a for me it seemed like it was a real shift and it was like after the after the crisis, it was kind of like I'd phone producers up and they'd be like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. He didn't give me any respect. He just listened to what the director said. And it was like, well, I thought that was what I was supposed to do. So, uh, yeah. I do actually have a one of my favourite, favourite Hollywood stories on when we were doing Flight of the Phoenix is uh, we were travelling all over the place trying to find these carcasses of a C-119, which is a specific plane that we decided we could use and then uh, reshape and turn into the Phoenix, like the Resurrectors, the Phoenix. And uh, so we're scouring all over the place, flying around the world, trying to find these things. And I was flying with the director, so which is great, because when you fly with a director, you get to fly in first class, which is great. So uh, we had this trip. There was a plane. There was one carcass that was just outside of uh, Venice in uh, Italy, not Venice, California. So we were on our way to Venice. And at the last minute, the director was like, you know what, I actually don't want to go to Venice. I He's from Ireland. He's like, I'm just going to pop home for the weekend. You can go and look at this plane by yourself. So I was like, OK, well, great. Okay, yeah, fine. So uh, I, I land in Venice and I think I'm going to go. So they pick me up in a taxi and we drive out to this little town. And uh, as I arrive in the town, literally the whole town is in the village square. And it's like a fate. And they're like, the man from Hollywood. He's here. It's like, it was great. It's like at The Godfather. It was amazing. And I had to meet with the mayor. And it's all very exciting. And then they took me off to see this plane, which was a, just a scrap. I mean, it was like it was not possible. To <laughs> oh, right.
0: and, you were, and you broke their heart, didn't you? So
1: I had to say, well, you know, thanks very much, guys. I'll you know, we'll get right back to you. Let me think about it. And uh, and then they're like, well, we'll get your taxi back to the hotel. So I'm thinking, because we're outside of Venice, we're not in Venice itself, Venice proper, we're just outside in the countryside, but I'm just going to stay in some, you know, shitty hotel, because I'm not with the director now, but they take me back to the taxi rank, and in Venice, the taxi ranks are the boats, also called taxis too. So we jump in this taxi boat, which is this beautiful, I can't remember the name of them, but the like the real fancy Riviera, like beautiful taxi boat, and we take off, and we go down the Grand Canal, and then we start, I think it was the Gritty Palace we stayed in, which was like the, the fanciest hotel and it was amazing and the next day free day in venice paid for to stay in this hotel so I was, and turned out to be my birthday so i woke up on my birthday Happy free day in venice I mean, this is pretty good life's pretty good I'm, i've made it and then i go to leave the hotel to exercise i go to do a run and as i as I, I come out of my my room in the and the and the i know the the, the um, hotel staff are there They're like oh Mr. Lumber, you must have come for breakfast I'm like okay thanks I'm I'm just going out I'll be right back and I get downstairs and the elevator guy is like hey Mr. Lumber, you must have come for breakfast I'm like uh, no, nah, you know I'll come later and then like then I go downstairs and the guy at the front desk is like Mr. Lum, you must stop for breakfast I'm like I'm guys I, I promise I'll come for breakfast I just want to leave the hotel and then I, I'm getting outdoor to the hotel and the doorman's like oh Mr. Lama. Um, uh, you must go for the, I'm with these people. I'm going for a run. I will. I promise I'll come back for breakfast. So I went out for a run, came back and then same thing happened. I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going. So I kind of go into this breakfast room, which is this enormous hall, huge. And my memory, I mean, beautiful or nay, most incredible room. And somebody was like, there was no one else. In there. I don't know what was going on, but, and I came in and then all of a sudden the whole, it seemed like the whole staff came in uh, singing happy birthday and they made a cake. My wife had called secretly and told them it was my birthday. So it was uh, amazing. So, yeah, so I had the whole thing singing happy birthday. And then, uh, yeah, great. And then the story doesn't end there because the next day they say, we'll get a taxi to the airport. And I'm like, OK, and I'm thinking I'm going to get a taxi back to the you know, bus stop and get the bus to the airport. But uh, back then, I don't know if you can still do it, but they pick me up in this fancy boat and we're going very slowly down the Grand Canal. And, I, and I'm and said to the driver, do you think we could go down the Grand Canal just so I could see it one more time? A little bit cheeky, you know, do you mind if we do like an extra bit? It'll be on the Warner Brothers tab. And he's like, yeah, no problem. So we drive out and then you get to the lagoon, which is larger. And all of a sudden he turns it, puts, puts the speed on. And he's like, you know, sit back and you're like... Bah! <laughs> this thing takes off at like 100 miles an hour, full speed boat, and we pull up to the airport because the airport's on the other side of the bay. You get out right. of the boat, walk through the gate, walk across the tarmac, and get on the plane. It was pre 9 11. I was like, wow, I'm like, you know, whew, amazing. And then got on the plane and flew to wherever we went to next, London, I think. But yeah, it, man, it, it is such fun traveling on other people's money, isn't it? Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah it's amazing yeah, mean, yeah
0: it one of the one of the very fine perks i, I think there, there are fewer and fewer
1: of those perks these days it's true it's true i did just i just got back from prague last week i did a commercial in prague and that was great fun it was fun to it was like a going down memory lane too because i'd done a movie there so
0: that's a but doing commercials is a whole different world because they spend money the advertisers spend money very differently than studios spend money
1: very different yeah it's and it's yeah. a real money thing i mean part of my yeah. job on a commercial is is managing the money is a huge part of my job like a huge part and that's kind of what gets you rehired i mean yeah granted you do a good job in designing because you can't do a shit job but there's not like people like oh man that commercial looked amazing let's get him back uh, you know it's more kind of like uh you know that commercial looked great but they also didn't go over budget so uh you yeah. know he's worth hiring again
0: yeah. now all right so you you become a, a production designer and uh you john gets another gig and he's he does the omen the remake of the omen the 2006
1: yeah. omen and he almost he, i almost unhired myself because i was actually scouting for another film um which ended up not happening which i'm glad i i didn't do in the end but i was scouting in the in uh, puerto rico and john called me and he's like, great news, man. We got another film. And I'm like, oh, what is it? Yeah, great. That's great. What is it? He's like, it's the it's a uh, it's the omen, a remake of the omen. And I was like, oh, man, we can we not do something original? It's another remake. And he was like, well, if you don't want to fucking do it. like, <laughs> And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. No sense of humor. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. But it was like, yeah, I was like, oh, shit. But um, I mean, great. And it was amazing. So much fun. I mean, horror films. Uh, yeah i mean you can't go wrong because it's just amazing so much fun did you did the original did dick donner's original
0: uh, funny yeah i know uh, did Impact you back, in any way yeah,
1: yeah yeah um you, you know what i didn't i intentionally didn't watch it um because i mean i'd seen it obviously and i remember the but the main thing i remember was the was the from a kid was when the monkeys were all attacking them in the the car and thinking that was absolutely terrifying. But uh, no, I, I kind of intentionally didn't watch it to kind of come at it afresh. What was your fresh take? Just to try and make something that was contemporary and really scary. of it are ass- scary I and mean, we wanted to make it real. Um, the, tr- I mean I think one of the trickiest things was we were shooting it in Prague and uh, trying to make it look like London and back then uh, CG was so expensive. I mean I think we have one shot when we're outside and they put the wheel and, the, and Big Ben in the background I mean, there's a couple of scenes where we where where they're at a church or there's one big scene at a church, and it's I mean, you watch it and it's like well, it's obviously an Eastern European church, it's not, you know, you, you can tell you're not in England. And so stuff like that design-wise was is disappointing because you can't do anything about it. However, we did get to build some massive sets, um, which was really fun, really, really fun. Like the whole interior set where she falls, uh, Judy Charles falls was we we literally built a three-story interior of a mansion. And we actually wow. we went through on a stage you have what's called a pit so you have a stage it's a big sound stage and in the middle of the stage sometimes you have sometimes stages you have a pit so you can open it up and there's like another floor below uh, a fourth floor so if you need to put a swimming pool in there or if you need someone to go downstairs or whatever like that so we took advantage of that to make it even bigger and then we decided that we wanted to have this pad for her to fall into and it wasn't deep enough still so we actually jackhammered out the foundation which was pretty cool to put her in um but my, I'm, I'm, one of my proud uh, production design moments in that is in the script. He, there's a uh, David Tulis, who's an amazing actor and such a cool guy to hang out with, really fun, amazing people in that film. Uh, and Michael Gambon, who just passed away yeah. last week. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. But um, we, uh David Tulis' character, he's a photographer. And so, the, one of the themes we thought we would do is we only see red. When it's something to do with Damien, when it's something to do with the devil. So we, so so a lot of the film when you first say everything's white, and you, the only time you see red is when there's something like ominous going to happen or something bad's going to happen. So David Thewlis is a photographer, and he's in his dark room, and when he's in his dark room, he turns his red light on. So it's scripted, he was in this dark room, and dark rooms, as we all know, are like really small and compact spaces. And I was like, well, that's not going to be very exciting. How can we make that more interesting? So I came up with this idea. I don't know how I came up with the idea. I think I'd seen a. A book or something. Anyway, I decided to make his dark room have glass windows. So he had a loft, and then within his in, in his loft, he had this small dark room. But the dark room all had glass windows that you could have blinds on. So he would go in there because it, he owned the building, that then he could turn the lights on. So you have this red light that would then fill the whole space. So you could have all these ominous shots where you kind of creep into his apartment and seeing this red building, red room with all this red light spraying out, which is kind of really kind of spooky. So that was, uh, that, that, that was kind of fun to change it around from being like this little space to being a, a much bigger space, which gave you more, more character. And I, uh, and it was fun. I, I, at the same time, I'd, I'd seen this book on David and Francis Bacon's studio, which was this sort of big mess. So we kind of, so the, so his loft was kind of like a rip off of Francis Bacon. Bacon's studio. Huh. It's like a little, he had like a mini kitchen in there. And we even drove an E-Type Jag. I mean, not an E-Type Jag, an MG sports car in there, which he, Pretty dry. So and we built all that on stage. So that was uh yeah, that was good fun.
0: You also round about then you worked with Chris Chris Nolan on Batman Begins.
1: Yeah, that was again so so Nathan had gone off and done Batman Begins and at the and so when how how did it work? I can't remember, but anyway, they were making it and they needed someone to be uh the supervising art director in the in America which was a, admittedly a, a a very small part of the film compared to most of it was done in london so i the supervising art director proper was in london and they had a lot of work to do i didn't have too much to do in the end it was going to be quite big and then it just got smaller and smaller what we ended up doing but yeah it was great we did uh yeah we built a few sets and uh um
0: interesting person to work for really what, what, i mean he, yeah, what amazing. A, what a visionary
1: yeah amazing yeah amazing really uh yeah funny and really nice guy very intelligent knew what he wanted um loads of research really thorough i mean especially for those batman films he made all these uh you know he hired all these comic book artists like the storyboards are like i don't know if you you can probably get them in books and stuff now but they're amazing like the storyboards were literally like reading a comic strip um yeah and a great team and his you know his dp's fantastic too so yeah it was that was a great experience and to work on such a massive scale uh too it was funny because they and and again it was a mainly a london crew and we did we did all the stuff when I, mean, I you know chicago is Wacker drive and lower Wacker drive so a lot of the we did all the car chase stuff so a lot of uh, breakaway so worked a lot with the special offense guys who are all from london and they're all old bond people so the whole bond story coming around which is funny, and and the guys who work on Bond films, they talk about them in the numbers, so they're all like, yeah, Terry, I was on, like, Bond 3. Oh, was at Bond 3 or number 4? Oh, yeah, we're Bond 7. That's when we blew up the truck, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Terry. That's when we done the one with the bank job, yeah, so it's, like, hilarious. So all these <laughs> real characters talking about all the old Bond films. It was amazing. So, just like, you know, going out for them, you know, having dinner with them and catching up on all this Bond stuff is great. Fantastic. But their experience and knowledge, craftsmanship, amazing. I mean, uh, I didn't work on the second one, but, the, but they, you know, when they flip the flip the tanker going down uh i think it was Wacker drive i don't know which street it was but they, i mean they did that for real i mean that was a real truck flipping in the middle of a you of know the city a, of an actual city. city i mean crazy so but yeah it's great driving around the tumbler and doing all kinds of stuff blowing shit up it was amazing we built a uh we built we built an entrance to uh a parking lot it was all i mean that's one of the fun things of films uh, of my job as a designer or our job as designers is that you get to like make separate places become one place. So you kind of turn a corner and you're in one city and then you turn another corner and you're actually in another city, but you make it look like you're in the same city. So it's a continuous journey. And we did that a lot with Batman. So there were scenes where they shot in London and then there seems to be shot in Chicago. and, And it was our job to make these sort of intersections. So one of the things we did, we built a big entrance to a parking garage. And uh, it was great. Chris came around and Chris was like, Oh, this is great. I didn't realize it was a parking garage here. I'm like, No, 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 it's a, it's a set. And then you look up and you realize there's no like top of it. And he's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I thought it was real. So that was kind of fun. And he was like, Oh man, you guys blew me away with that. But you just built like a half a ramp going up into this, so it of vanished. And then you did, and we didn't build anything else. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, that's that. And there's a, that was one of the fun things in the, in the omen. We built this, uh, there's one part where uh, the priest, is on a journey, and he, he starts to in Prague in one part of Prague, and he was in another part of Prague, and he crosses a bridge, and then that was in another city, and then we went to another city, and then he ends up at a at a, at a cathedral, which was actually in another city. So he, I think, it was like five different places that turned into this one, you know, two minute walkie, he, yeah, he one little walkabout, one little walkabout, which is great. Uh,
0: in two thousand eight, on Valkyrie, you went to work for this guy.
1: Yeah, amazing. How, right uh,
0: now uh, what happened how how, <laughs> how did how did this come together
1: <laughs> well you know yeah you know, i don't know if gill was to tell the story i was i was a supervising art director i think i was a supervising art director or one right. I, i'm not sure and uh and yeah we started we started the film we were scouting and uh doing all kinds of stuff and then in pre-production it just wasn't kind of working out they they were not getting along the director wasn't getting along with the, the, the with the with the designer
0: who was yeah. the original pd it
1: was uh I... lily, kilbert.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> lily kilbert was the designer and i got on great with her and really? uh yeah i was kind of a writing man and we were scouting and doing all kinds of stuff and just in pre-production and then it just it just yeah. i know the wasn't, it, just
0: it, doesn't, wasn't it, out. It, it doesn't you know sometimes our creative differences
1: whatever. and uh so well,
2: they asked and she just wasn't listening i mean we would say to her what we wanted and then she would say yes and then she would come back the next day with something that was totally what she wanted and what she thought would be right but not even listening to what we said and so we really didn't have a choice i mean we were really upset about having to let her go i'm sure we really didn't have a choice because we you know the director and i looked at each other and said what what are we going to do? We're not getting anything what we want. She, it's it's just changing every time we talk to her. It's just... So we let her go. And, and they, after, you know, was there? And I remember
1: they asked me if I would consider doing it, and I yeah. and I was like, oh, maybe. And I was, Lily was obviously really upset, um, but I but I decided that yeah, I would um, because why not? It was an opportunity. But I said I I went in. I met with with um, with the guys, and I was like, I, I'll do it but I'm only going to do it if I do it like my way. I'm not, I'm not going to like, this is a fresh start. We're not, I'm not just going to continue and, and do some. And so if you're, if you guys are cool with that, then let's do this. And uh, they were like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. But the good news of all the,
2: of the story is that, so I met, you know, with Patrick and, and he didn't say yes right away. And I'm like, oh God, you know, we're going to, by Monday, I'm going to be in the toilet <laughs> looking for somebody in England. And finally we, you know, he said he would do it. And under the terms that he suggested and we said great let's do it that way and he was very responsive you know and ultimately it was the best thing for the movie you know having patrick on because it got done it got done really well and you know and, and it was done properly
0: now this is with uh, this is 1940s germany tom cruise yeah uh
1: playing um uh Offenberg who attempted to assassinate Hitler. Fascinating. I mean, it was great. We, I mean, we were shooting in Berlin, so obviously there's an intense amount of history there. The German people now have made a a real strong decision to get rid of all the stuff so there isn't anything existing so you can't just like rock up and shoot in all the existing locations we did try to find a couple of them those was a, the old building which was the luftwaffe building which has now you know it's been it's changed a little bit but that's really the only building that's left standing we 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 did utilize that we had to have some cg stuff to to remove from it but that's uh we did some big street scenes outdoors which was which was amazing but um Yes, yeah, so we had to bring. Really, the,
2: I don't know if you remember, we had we had to hang 300 Nazi flags. Oh my God! Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs>
1: that was incredible. People were and, stopping.
2: And so you know, the government. I go to the government for permission, and they go, "No, no, you can't do that. It's against the law." I went, "No, no, I don't want to hang one Nazi flag. I want to hang yeah. 300."
0: Yeah, it was said, wild.
2: No, and finally we got to the right people, and they gave us permission, but they said you have to shoot it on a Sunday. And I'll never forget yeah. one of the things that happened was we were had the Nazi flags all up and we, we come driving to the set and it's like, oh, God, <laughs> someone's going someone's gonna to take a shot at us. And I see this tourist bus with all these Japanese people in the bus and they're looking and they're waving and they're smiling. <laughs> and all of a sudden they see the flags and the smiles <laughs> disappear and they look at horror and the bus stops for them to get off because the bus driver has said, no, no, it's a film set and I'll show them. I'll show you, and so all of these people come off and they come onto the set before we were shooting, and I had to explain yeah. to them what we were doing. I mean, it was it was hilarious to see their faces change, in 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 a, in a minute.
1: <laughs> yeah, <it was> so <laughs> ominous seeing all these flags. I mean, it yeah. was I mean amazing. Like you really got the I mean the power of them that the the iconography i mean the nazis knew what they were doing in with all that you know the design and that and that the, i mean as a design the interesting thing is they kept such records of everything photographed everything so like really doing all the research was was okay you know to find to recreate stuff and then we had an amazing set decorator bernard who um bernard yeah. who who, unfortunately, those guys are so sick of it because everyone comes into town like, "Hey, we want to make a Nazi film." It's like, "Oh, Jesus, again!" You know, they can kind of like, "Can we make something else?" It's like, "Oh, but um, yeah, we found all this amazing stuff. Like, you, we actually did some illegal things where we got the real uh, Nazi paraphernalia that you that. Collectors have that they're not supposed to have, and we borrowed some stuff from. But but yeah, but, but really scary too. Like we recreated Goebbels' office, and that was kind of a fabrication because there's no really records of it. But we just made something that looked big and scary. And you remember, uh, you remember the
2: culmination
1: scene of the movie
2: where we shot that the <laughs> where where Stauffenberg gets assassinated. Yeah 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 that was a whole thing. That was that was originally uh, the War Ministry during the war. And now it's a memorial museum.
1: Yeah. And do, but you, do you remember what happened? We had to get special permission. I had oh, to yeah. go. Down. Do
2: I remember what happened? I had to Maybe get it twice. Because before we came, part of the deal was we wouldn't come to Germany because we were looking at Prague and we were looking at Budapest. And I said, look, I want it, we want it to be authentic. So I want to shoot at the museum. And I want to you know, replicate it as it were. I'll make sure everything gets put back. And so finally, they said, OK, but you can only have it for the weekend. Yeah, we have a Friday at six o'clock. Monday morning at nine o'clock. And it has to be like it is when you pick it up at six o'clock on Friday. So we shot all weekend. Yeah, Same we had to
1: build all this, the the sets and stuff that could come in really fast right. and come out really quickly as well. Right. so, and so like, we oh.
2: set it all up, and then we we sh- we shot it all out. And we thought, oh my god, we got the end of the movie. It's fantastic. It's then- it was emotional.
1: it was very actually really. Em- I, well, I'm just sorry yeah. to interrupt. It it's was really of- emotional because it was oh, like uh, it was like it was happening. It was. It and, was
2: but, then on, but then on Tuesday, I got a call from the lab. I don't know if you remember this. No, saying, I do, I totally remember. Yeah, saying to me. I'm really sorry. We destroyed the mo- the film. I went. Well, what what do, what do you mean you destroyed the film? Did you overexpose it? Can we rebathe it? Can we do this? Can we? No, 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 no. We 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 destroyed. It. I'm sorry. You know. So we had to make an insurance claim. We always thought that somebody was behind doing this to us. To this day, I think that because it never happened on any other day yeah in our movie or any other movie that i know of and we're using the main lab there and so we had to make an insurance claim but worse than making the insurance claim i had to go back to all the government agencies that gave us the permission and get permission to reshoot it and reschedule it
1: so we did we went back we went back did, did it again it. oh yeah.
2: boy oh boy oh so boy. from my perspective we actually uh, Stauffenberg got assassinated twice
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it, it was funny it was really emotional it was like a real it was like it was oh, really because yeah. we were in the real place and uh we made it as as authentic as we possibly could and it was in, in the middle of the night and it was cold and there was we had like smoke machines and the guns going off it was, it was scary it was really scary it was like shit this is what it must have really been like it was yeah. everyone everyone was was moved it was like a yeah yeah but uh yeah, it was great. It was great. It was great experience. Uh, fantastic working with everybody. And, and, and Tom Cruise is amazing. And at the time people, people wanted to dislike Tom at the time, he, you know, he's crazy Scientologist and he's short and he wears heels and doesn't do his real st- anybody. He, he was amazing. And what, a, what, a I mean, he really knew that, I mean, he does not muck about it. He's a really intelligent guy and you had to really know your stuff when he came and asked you a question, why are we doing this? Or why are we doing that? You had to really know what was going on in a good way. And then, uh, but yeah, that was uh, it was, there was one point we were sitting on a, I can't, we were in the we were in the house. It was where the the, the, the resistance were meeting, and and I can't remember something happened and and uh, either Tom got mad or um, the director got mad and he's like, right, "Everybody out, everybody out!" That's why I'm sort of like shuffling out with everybody else, and then I like, know Patrick, you're staying, and it's like, "Oh shit!" So then we're sitting down and we're sitting on the we sit on the sofa and there's Tom Meiser on one side and the director on the other side. And we're having this like discussion about the film, and I can kind of see myself looking back at myself, going, "Hey, you're sitting on the sofa with these guys. Like, you're really doing this. Like, you're figuring out. Like, you're doing this. You're this is this is really happening. You're not that little kid anymore. You're the one who's designing this movie with these with these you know with you know of course with these guys." And I was like, "Huge people, this is cool. This is great." And I was kind of and then I was kind of like, "I kind of like this. (laughs) I can do this." <laughs> what did he want to talk uh, about do, do you remember what he
2: wanted to talk about why why he
1: got everybody out i can't remember now i can't remember um was this it in was the house the, the, it, it was they, in the house we were in the house in potsdam. Do, in potsdam yeah and it was something to do with the story um well let me ask you a question does this
2: refresh your memory a little bit um well i was there on the set and one and, and I had extra security and I had Mossad as security, I yeah. guess you remember. And I, uh, they, they called me to the front of the building and they said, there's an elderly woman with a young woman. The elderly woman has a cane and she's saying she needs to speak to the man in charge, the man in charge. Oh, you know what? So I went outside and this woman sweating very heavy, must have been in her 80s. Says, I need to speak to the man in charge. And I said, I'm the man in charge. What can I do for you? And she said, How did you know how did you get this house? How did how did you get this house? I need to talk to you. And so it was a very hot day. And I realized she wasn't a threat. I made sure that we checked her cane and I looked at the the, the daughter or the granddaughter. And we went into into the actually the house, which was cooler. And she sat on a chair and I sat on the couch. Now I sat when I sit on a couch, I usually sit with my back on the arm, not on the back. Just, I don't know why. And so I sat like that, and as soon as I did, she said, why do you sit like that? Why do you sit like that? He sat like that, he sat like that, he sat exactly like that, with your leg crossed like that. And I'm like, what is she talking about? This woman's out of her mind. Well, it turns out this was her house, and her her husband was part of the resistance, and yeah. they would meet in this house. And she looks at the house and she, she says to me, um, you see those glass doors? Why are they closed? Open them. And there was a difference between the living room and the dining room with these big glass doors. And so yeah. I didn't even realize they were movable. She separates them. And I'm like, don't, don't touch that. Don't touch that. You know I mean? This a set." No, no, no. Yeah. And then she sits down again and she says to me how, I'll show you. And she starts walking upstairs and, and Tom was shooting upstairs. And I didn't want her to go upstairs. So I said, please don't go upstairs. Please, please ask her not to go upstairs. And she takes like four steps up the stairs and it's like a, it's like a craftsman house with these thick wooden steps. And she takes her cane and she hits the metal platform on the wall. And she says, there, in there, that's where they hit the bomb. And I'm like, yeah. what is she talking about? <laughs> and so it was all true. Yeah, And she finally looks at me and says, after she calms down a little bit and I tell her we're making a movie, she said, is there any way I can meet Tom Cruise? Eighty-year-old <laughs> woman. So I, my initial reaction was saying, "Oh no, no." And then I thought about it for a second. I said, "You know, I think Tom would really appreciate this story. He's not going to believe it that we're in the actual house." So I yeah. went up to the set and I told him, and he said, "You think she's real?" And I said, "I do. I really think she's real." He said, "I, I got to check this out." And he came down, and she was all all tickled that she met Tom Cruise. And sure enough, it all was true.
1: Yeah, amazing. We
2: were in that house, and of all the houses we looked at, because we looked at about a half a dozen houses. Yeah, this one. Why we picked this one? Who knows? But I mean, that was the house.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much history there. I mean, it is yeah. amazing when you're wandering around and you know the places you saw. Places. One of the things we were scouting, I don't know if you were on that scale, girl, we went to we're out in this village outside of Berlin. I can't remember like a couple of hours outside, and it was like it looked like a regular sort of village, and then and then we went into one of the houses. Opened the door, went through the bedroom, went through the other bedroom, and then down through the closet. And it was the entrance to this whole underworld where there was a huge elevator and there was like rooms and things, and it was like a whole sort of like bunker for yeah. the Nazis. So if anything happened, they could all go down there and stay under this whole secret world that was still there. I mean, nothing was in the any of the rooms, but it was but but yeah, but staircases and corridors and yeah, room after room, all built out of concrete. I, I it's like the ending went...
0: imagined in Doctor Strangelove, the the
1: the ultimate bunker of doom. Yeah, exactly, and it was like hidden in this little village in one of the houses. You kind of went through the yeah through the crazy. Yeah, I remember
2: that. going to I remember going in Potsdam to uh, the house where Stauffenberg lived. Yeah, and now it had been ripped apart a little bit and made into three or four condos from this one be- big beautiful house. And I remember the only thing that was that I was told was re- was left. From the original house was the metal railing all around the house. Yeah. I remember opening up the gate and holding on to the gate just to feel the vibration. Because yeah. I certainly felt something. Yeah. It's just an amazing experience.
1: Yeah. And we shot at the airport there. The airport was incredible, yeah. which his name has gone out of my head right now, but it's huge. It's no younger used as an airport. Now it's kind of like a big theme park, actually, since we've shot there. Oh, really? Now it's a big theme park. Um, yeah, they kind of re- reused it but yeah it made, i mean amazing really and, and the actors were incredible and yeah and you had to
2: find those those uh tarmacs one one on grass and one on macadam
1: yeah yeah great It's yeah. yeah so much fun doing all the research and then finding all the old vehicles and yeah amazing yeah.
2: and then i don't know if you remember the first day of shooting we were shooting on the tarmac with the old planes which are costing me a fortune to rent and i get a call from the set saying we can't shoot today and i go what do you mean we can't shoot today the tarmac melted
1: oh that's why it's so hot
2: and the wind and yeah. and the and the wheels are stuck to the tarmac so we can't use the planes and i'm like what are you talking about yeah <laughs> we're shooting today
1: yeah 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 i
2: <laughs> figure this out and so we brought we brought we brought in blowers and i think ice machines to to make the tires diminish in size and get them unhooked from the tarmac and we were able to shoot wow. i'll never forget for the first day of shooting i thought we got it all set i <laughs> mean that's always the way it is and then there's always something me, that you can yeah, start, and, they call somehow. Me, oh, oh, and they oh. go we can't shoot the, the tarmac is melted and the wheels are stuck so yeah you you, you you just don't expect the ground to melt on
0: on
1: your first day of shooting right right yeah when we made the omen we were because it just reminded me of being in Prague last. We we built this big set on the backlot, and in Prague it never snows. Like it never snows because it's like a slow climate. Of course, the year we're there, it snowed. So we have this set that's supposed to be Jerusalem, and we're like digging out the snow and five torches trying to melt all the snow. So you look one way. And it looks like Jerusalem with lights on it and there's stone buildings and stuff. But if you turned like you move the camera like, like 45 <laughs> degrees, and you see this snowy Eastern European landscape with this little set in the middle of it. Okay, I think smoke
0: yeah. meat mirrors.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: You uh you went on to work for Michael Mann on public enemies, another terrific, really director to, to work with and for. Yeah.
1: He's a yeah, he's a machine. I mean, he's the loveliest man before you start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just he's so demanding i mean it's incredible i mean that's why he gets good stuff i mean he but he is uh but he's relentless like you you'll be shooting and he wants to shoot where there's a fire hydrant and you'd be like michael we just can't move the fire i mean it's a fire hydrant we can't move it he's like i don't give a fuck wait that's where we're shooting and figure it out and you'd be like yeah yeah no i'll we'll do everything because like my mantra is no is not an answer like no is not an option um, right. that's mine. you know is not an option but then with mike you'd be like but yeah mike i totally get it but it is a fire hydrant and we're in the middle of chicago and he's like I Oh, I, I, I did you not hear me the first time i don't give a fuck <laughs> like figure it out <laughs> like, oh my god he's relentless but that's how he gets you know that's what he gets and uh the the, the dp was amazing dante Frey was amazing uh uh, uh dandy spinotti excuse me yeah Danny spinotti uh who i'm still friends with amazing uh, but it was interesting because we shot it in digital, which was uh, everyone was like, oh, don't do it in digital because it's going to look like shit. And bits of it don't look as great as they could because it was, a, uh, you know, Michael was, you know, pushing the boundaries of stuff. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, again, it was a real experience, a real learning experience going back and trying to re- recreate things. We had to lay, I can't even remember how many yards of fake cobblestones on all these streets to make it. Um Just stuff you don't think about. Um Yeah and painting everything in all these earth and colors. And yeah, great. It was a, it was a tricky one because they somehow there just it was never quite the chemistry between Johnny and the, and the, so that, that, I mean, that it's not, I don't think it's a good film. Unfortunately. Hmm. It's uh, I mean, I think it looks great, uh, but yeah, it didn't, didn't, I don't know, somehow it didn't live up to its thing. And Johnny didn't get on with Michael. They were the odds from the, from the get go, which doesn't help. So uh, yeah, it's disappointing. And in, in a way that's, for me that's one of the when i kind of started doing commercials that's the the nice thing about a commercial is like you put all your heart and soul into it but it's all over in three weeks yeah and then if, if it's crap it's kind of like oh well you know whatever i try my best but like with movies i mean you, you i mean i lived them it's my whole life i'm like you know I, it's literally it's like having a child i mean that's an exaggeration but you put your whole whole heart and soul into it and then it sometimes- is your
0: baby i mean you're you're imagining a world that doesn't exist
1: yeah and then sometimes it just at the end of the day like you know the someone comes along and says oh no let's change the ending or let's do this or and you're just like oh my god i can't believe i put all that energy into this and it just like
0: uh,
1: i mean it it was a fight of the phoenix was a thing because it was it was it was was i mean it was a great it's a it's a there's some cheesy bits in it because they they thought it'd be great to have a pop star in it and put a pop song halfway through the film and then they wanted someone wanted to have a an ending where someone died too soon or didn't die fast enough. So they kind of started fucking around with it once we've made it. And it's just so disheartening because you mm. watch it now and you're just like, Oh, and then when it came to came out, uh, they just weren't quite sure what to do with it. So they weren't sure to whether to make it an action film or they'll make it a family film or whether to So it came out right before Christmas, but they just kind of all of a sudden the the week before it came in, they kind of dropped the ball and didn't really do any advertising for it. So it didn't, um, Yeah, it just kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. I mean, I'm happy to say people love it, and everyone seems to watch it on telly now. And people like, oh, watch it every year at Christmas, which is lovely. But at the time, it was like, oh my god, what happened? Like they just, they just, it just, they didn't know how to release it, and so it just kind of was like, oh shit, which is so disheartening because you put all your heart and soul into this thing, and then, and then it's you know out of control. You know, the same old designer complaints as you know the the one you know the best set gets cut because the scene doesn't work or you know stupid actor goes stands right in front of the set <laughs>
0: <I'm kidding>. bloody <laughs> bloody actors you you also did the 2010 nightmare on Elm Street which was
1: yeah that was um that was that was really that was really fun yeah um and uh, that, but disappointing in the for those same reasons is that yeah, the director, yeah i, I kind of didn't want to do another horror film and i was like i i kind of wanted to do sort of serious films and bigger films and 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 whatever but um i'd met with the director and i knew his work sam bayer he's a, a, a was a huge commercial director and a music video director uh, a real visionary and um amazing work and so i met with him and 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 we kind of came up with all these ideas we could do for the film and kind of not change the genre because that sounds ridiculous, but just we've just really wanted to make it visually it's, amazing.
0: Oh, it's gorgeous. It is, it is. Well, look, you know, the original had a budget of 1.8 million. You guys had 35
1: million bucks yeah.
0: to, to play with. That makes a huge difference. It, it is, oh, an extraordinary looking world. And plus, you know, uh, on the, uh, on the new Freddie, they were able to use a little bit of uh, uh, of digital ap- application to to, yeah. to heighten the effect. So, so yeah, the the technology had changed, but to allow you all greater creative latitude. And it's to- funny. It-
1: yeah, and it's funny because we watched the. I did watch the original. Uh, I remember watching the original. I remember going to the movie theater to watch it because I was in. Uh, I was in college in Cornwall, in England. I remember going to see it with friends. and I remember coming out and we're just all being terrified. And there's a scene. I think it's Johnny Depp gets sucked in the bed yeah. in the mattress. Yeah. And I remember it being absolutely terrifying. And then if you watch it now, it just looks so stupid. It's like okay, so they cut a hole in the mattress and dropped him. I mean, it's like you watch it now, it's comical how how you know poor man's process it's done i mean it's 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 not in a fraction believable i mean and i remember that scene specifically being like oh my god it was so scary or how they do that and then we watched it when we went to make the film and i was like oh my god that was like crazy i mean you, you, yeah so so different
0: they had a chance to to dig deeper into freddie and and there was a, a, a decision I, I guess they had shot it. There was in the script, uh, whether fifteen different scripts, but one of the versions had Freddie was actually empathetic, and and it's the they turn him into a monster. He's not a monster. He's not doing anything right. to the kids, which would have been really that would have made him so much more interesting because he was in a way justified in the beginning. It, it would right. have made him so much more interesting. That would have been a great innovation. It might have given them a little bit more.
1: yeah because he gets chased yeah he gets chased by the parents unjustly if i remember he gets chased by the parents unjustly and they kind of set him on fire which is why he's all
0: yeah uh, yeah yeah um, yeah, but but, he
1: was the. the,
0: but the question is all right so he he was looking he was he had this thing with the kids after school and the parents catch him at it but in one version in one of the scripts he wasn't uh, he was innocent it's It's quite innocent and yeah which
1: is great that would have been yeah
0: wow that would have been yeah. what a great twist in, into the whole freddy mythology
1: that he's he's an innocent guy there's I, something deep almost empathetic at the core no totally and i that was one of the things that was like with after we finished it it was like they just we kind of the guys who made it great guys but they make this like horror gore horror porn or whatever you call it yeah. and I, I went to see one of the before after we after i took the job and we knew we were doing the job they had another film friday the 13th coming out like a remake and i was like i'll go and see this and it was just i was like oh my god i can't like i would not get my high horse but i was like this is sort of morally reprehensible." <laughs> yeah. it's just like people like shooting each other and you know and there's i think at one point some guy sticks a screwdriver through someone's head or something <laughs> and i was in the movies and everyone in the movies like yeah this is awesome and i'm just going oh my god this is what's happened to society like this is <laughs> i mean i <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure I'm being a huge hypocrite here in some ways, but it was like, I, I. so we didn't want to make like a horror porn. Like I, I at one point I was offered to make the Saw 2 or 3 or 15, maybe they make it. I was just like, I don't want to do it. I'm not, I'm not. So that kind of what happened with um, Nightmare on Elm Street. We kind of made it and then they, and then we, we did a bunch of reshoes where we had to rebuild similar to the, to, to I had experience from, from Valkyries to rebuild sets. One of the basement, I think we rebuilt it three times. In different locations, uh, mm-hmm. and it all looks the same. But yeah, that was—I think it was a real location. And then we rebuilt it, and then we rebuilt it in Chicago. Then we rebuilt it twice in LA to do reshoots. Well,
0: so, it's it, it's great looking, yeah. And I'm, yeah, if you're going to hire a whole new Freddie, hey Jackie Earl Haley, you know it's a thankless task. Yeah. But if if you're going to hire a new Freddie, open another door, make make it worthwhile, make it because then jack earl haley at least has something that he did that robert robert england had never done
1: yeah he was amazing Uh,
0: thankless task thankless
1: and then that she was going to be something special i mean that was her i think that was her first film and she was incredible um yeah Uh, mm -hmm. she goes in a bedroom we made it snow in a bedroom that was kind of fun like a crazy trippy thing so uh
0: you you did a couple other features after that, but really the the more interesting work that the assignments you were getting was in yeah.
1: advertising. And yeah. there's
0: some stuff on your portfolio that's just ah the, oh, uh, the 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 Prius LED installation.
1: Oh yeah, that was a that was amazing.
0: That is way oh. cool. We will put that <laughs> up so that people can watch that as we're listening. We'll we'll link to it. It is so cool. And what's also cool, and we'll also link to your to your your website because you have you show all your work there's there's oh, great the, uh, you have all the schematics you you have the, the yeah. uh, you know the- that, was always,
1: that was a that was a real fun project so they so they came out with a new prius i'll try and make it brief but they came yeah. out the new prius and the whole idea was they wanted to show that it was streamlined so i didn't come up with the ideas of the, the, the advertising age that comes out there and they said but what we want to do is we want to stick the, we want to get prius we want to stick it in a in an air tunnel wind tunnel that they use for real, that then they blow air on and you can see the way the air goes because they blow white smoke and you it can smoked, see right. how aerodynamic it is. Well, we're like, okay, great. So can you do that? I'm like, yeah, no problem. You know, we'll figure it out. So then we call around a bunch of places. So right. there's some wind tunnels that do not exist. There's like three of them. There's one in, you know, somewhere in Heidelberg or something. And there's right. like, they're, they're, they're just, and they're astronomical to use because they're, they're crazy scientifically built. So everyone's like, well, you just can't do it. So then I have this amazing special effects company. And of course, his name has gone out of my head right now. I knew this was going to happen. But, um, and they like, you know, we can figure it out. Let's figure it out. So we built our own mini wind tunnel. It's a real wind tunnel. We built so you had to build
0: your own wind tunnel. Okay. We, we
1: built our own wind tunnel. Uh, so we put all these cones to get the air to dry because it's really complicated. So it's like, that's one commercial somehow really fun because there's always different projects. You have to learn all this stuff. So we learned how to make a wind tunnel. So I learned how to make a wind tunnel. We have these straighteners. So you straighten the air. And instead of blowing, blur- knowing the area and we sucked the air out at the other end and then what we had to do we had to figure out how to get smoke um so the original it was a commercial and this guy comes in a famous pianist comes in and he plays a tune and as he plays a tune it pumps different colored smoke out in the wind tunnel which then goes over the top of the car so we wanted to do it all in camera rather than just doing it in cg so we so over yeah and it was a real rush but we figured out how to make this piano and with the special effects guys who were amazing we got this can smoke and compressed smoke and when you press the button it really did you hit a note and it made the key and it came out and it blew and it went over the car and they loved it so much that so they were like okay we want to do something like this but we want to do it as a as an installation this was probably like, I don't know four or five years ago, maybe less. I'm not sure, but it kind of became this new thing in advertising, where the rather than making advertisements, you made um, uh, environments, you make you make a experiential, right. so people can actually visit them, walk through them, you know, like a, the whole. And then everyone takes Instagram of it, and that becomes more advertising. More people see it than okay. if it's a commercial. People Super responded to it. It was great, and it was a real. It's really nice because, I mean, obviously, it's nice when you make commercials or movies. You're on set. And everyone gets a buzz when you when you everyone's there because everyone's worked so hard to get it and it happens, but it's over and it's briefly, or, or then you keep repeating it on a commercial and everyone's like, oh, this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> it's like, but when you did this thing, a public, the general public were coming in and wandering around it and hearing the music and seeing it and just seeing people's faces and kids' faces are like, wow, this is so cool. It's like yeah, great. Uh,
0: another another uh exper- experiential installation you did was the one you did for Uber, which is uh, also very cool. The uh the, the
1: lights. Yeah, that was that was great and that was a that is probably one of my worst, ultimate worst experience of making an installation or a commercial Damn. so we built these things which i was very proud of with this amazing company here in los angeles so who kind of make technical things we we actually did a few other projects which didn't quite make it we were going to try. we tried to do this thing with um god i forgot what it's called magnetic oil so you you we were trying to make clocks out of magnetic all these kind of crazy things i've done with this company who are like they're all scientists they're all sort of science buffs but then we- make visual things as well so we made this thing for prius which was amazing and all these lights as you walk around they change color and they get brighter and change and it was like mirrors and it was like an art installation i was so proud of it and so excited to make it it's like and that's another thing like one of my jobs is that you you know i'm an artist i'm an architect i'm a painter I'm mean, like it's all these interior designs great so this was like an art installation and then we made the whole thing and it was going to Miami. So the whole idea was we set it up in Miami. Uh, we, we built them all. It's beautiful. It's all like precision built um, and computerized and everything else. And it goes on a base and then the people come in and you walk up to it. And as you walk up to it, it changes color. It's interactive. Um, so it's almost like a stonehenge of lights and colors. And uh, so we got to Miami and uh, we had a day to install it. And the installers were supposed to come at 9 a.m. And, I, you know, a whole team of people to build this in a parking lot to make it flat, beautiful, rock solid surface, mm-hmm. shiny, reflective. So it'd be gorgeous, you know, like a rock and roll stage floor amazing so at, at 10 o'clock no one's turned up so i'm phoning i'm going where are these people where's the installers like what's happening i'm freaking out you know the everyone's gonna be here at five o'clock it's going live 10 30 one truck comes up with jalopy with two guys in it and half a dozen like pieces of two by four and a couple of pieces of plywood and i'm like well what's going on they're like yeah we're here to build a platform i'm like what <laughs> I like, yeah platforms like 12 by 12 right in the parking lot it's supposed to be something like right? what's going on we don't really know what's happening we just got told to come over here. and i was like ah! so i was like they're freaking out and i just you know, calling everybody and trying to because the the company in a had just called a company here sort of subcontracted it out and hadn't really chucked it out and followed through them so literally at five o'clock in the afternoon i'm on my hands and knees with a nail gun and a screw gun trying to screw bits of plywood down and then i'm painting the roller the agency show up the client shows up uber bosses are all there and i'm literally in my suit like rolling blacking paint around the place with dryers trying to get it to dry before everyone shows up and then we we kind of pulled it off but the but the floor was still where You walked on the floor it kind of the, the 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 pieces moved a little bit which wasn't supposed to happen but yeah and I just nothing like nothing you can do. Like the show's got to go on. We had a day to do it and it was. Uh, yeah, but uh,
0: awful. I was so how, how, how not to make an
1: advertisement, how not to make an out. I was so humiliating just, and it, you know, Miami, it's August. It's like 110 degrees. And I'm like, just literally you know, the, uh, ball of sweat with a screw gun trying to fix this thing with like, you know, in your nice clothes, just awful. Uh, absolutely awful and then the next day we were supposed to reinstall it at another location and there was a uh, th- uh what do you call it a uh, cyclone so impossible couldn't do it which actually was kind of get out of jail because we because we couldn't find anyone else to build a, another platform but yeah solely. i mean i i you kind of on the website you can see the the preparation oh yeah yeah yeah
0: and, and you you've done so many cool parts of so many cool spots the the progressive motorbike man oh Motorcycle yeah motor.
1: Man. That, the motor that is such a cool i think there. they've i think they've killed him which is a shame i kept going and going we did We've we great done a few. spots
0: yeah and you yeah. also were part of some of the, the great geico spots
1: yeah they're great i work with an amazing director harold einstein and he's uh yeah amazing and uh yeah he's Fantastic to work with, fantastic talent, and uh, so all of that. I'm, I'm just his hands, really. He's
0: I, I you know, there. I'm, I'm, a news junkie, so I, I watch, I, I see a lot of the, the, the insurance commercials. The, oh, a, a lot of your work, I see all the time. Uh, also, the Liberty Mutual commercials, which, frankly, I think are stupid as fuck. I mean, oh, as are. brilliant as Geico is, as brilliant as Progressive is, man, someone, someone is running the, the. We the don't. Liberty, it's, so it's so funny because
1: so dumb. We, Everything we did, is dumb. we, we did a few of them. Uh, like one, I think we did two batches uh-huh. of them, and then Harold's like, "I'm just not doing it anymore." The director's like, "I'm not doing it anymore." But they they keep the set and they pull the set out as it's, it's it's our set, my set, or whatever that they pull out. They had they own it. And they pull it out for all, and then they they come out. And every once in a while, every couple of years, they go, "Harold, like the director, would you come back and do some more?" He's like, "Nah, they're not. They're not funny." What's What's cool
0: about your website is that you have all you have that set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see how that set is constructed. It really is very cool. It, it's uh, which is why your your website your your portfolio is so interesting to wander around.
1: Oh, great! I, yeah, i like to try and show how we do it.
0: I, I I highly recommend that, and and uh, I. I it, it oh, gives such insight in, in, into your working process as you have given us in this incredible uh, sit down that you had with gill and I. I i cannot i cannot it's thank surprising. you enough for for spending this this time
2: with us today
1: no uh, my pleasure yeah gill's a mensch he's my main man he he's helped me out a lot so um yeah big love to him and his as, as you
2: him. as you have me and valkyrie so yeah well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. The
0: pleasure was ours, Patrick, and we look forward to having another conversation because we just scratched the surface of all the stuff that that, that you do in commercials. It, it really
1: Anytime.
0: very innovative stuff. But well, well, that's the next conversation. Awesome.
1: Anytime. All right. And, Thanks. And guys.
0: thank you, everybody, for 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 listening in. The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason, and Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crip podcast. Follow them for what my old pal the Keeper would have called terrific Crip content.